Welcome to the Africa Legal Podcast Series. You're listening to Carol Campbell in conversation today with Davidson Oturu, a partner with ALX, one of the largest full-service law firms in Nigeria and Ghana. Davidson's focus is intellectual property law, corporate and commercial issues, and dispute resolution. This is, of course, across a wide variety of sectors. He is a member of the Africa Global Advisory Council of the International Trademark Association and also a member of the Steering Committee of the Labor and Employment Law Group of the International Section of the American Bar Association. Welcome, Davidson. It's lovely to be able to chat. Thank you, Carol. I'm just happy to be here. It's been a challenging time recently. How are you all bearing up? Well, so generally, we've been trying to keep safe, um, social distancing. There are a lot of new catchphrases now that have caught up with people. So we're generally trying to sanitize, um, working remotely, working from home, um, generally trying to adapt to the new normal, so to speak. So we're also optimistic that in a few months' time, all of this will be in the past. It will not be forgotten, but at least we'll be able to forge ahead. So we're coping so far so good. That's good to hear. Yes, it's been so difficult. Kick into our to work stuff. Your core specialism is intellectual property, and this has been gaining what feels like ever increasing attention across African markets over the last decade. Is this about people becoming more aware of their rights and the value of their knowledge? Well, yes. So I would say that there are many factors to that. Yes, for one, there is more awareness regarding the protection of intellectual property rights. And this has been spurred on by different factors. For example, I mean, you would have noticed that there is a rise of technology companies in Nigeria. Um, you have Opay, Piggyvest, um, you know, and a couple of others that keep springing up. Now, what this means for them is that they need to protect the intellectual property rights that come up with their innovations. There are some practical examples that I'd like to give to illustrate this point. So if, you have a, so if you have a tech company that is starting out, it will have very little in terms of tangible assets. So it may not, it may not even have physical offices, you know, vehicles and stuff like that. They will be working virtually or remotely, since that's a new um, you know, phrase now. So, but what they would have would be intangible assets. For instance, they may have a software that makes their technology unique, or they may have a patent or an innovation which they intend to introduce to the market. So if that product that they have is an invention, which means that it is novel or an improvement on what already existed, then they are bringing in some value to the market and they would need to register that innovation as a patent because if they don't re register it as a patent and somebody else uses it, then they have lost whatever value or commodity that they had. So first thing that they would want to do is to register that innovation as a patent. Then if, if it's a software, for instance, that's copyright. So they would want it to be registered as a copyright, of course, Copyright is a unique form of IP because you don't need to register it per se. Once it is put in a fixed medium, it enjoys protection. However, they will still want to 
get some kind of certification from the Copyright Commission. So they will need to register it there. Then by the time you've protected the software or the, the innovation, you would want a trademark that would go with this goods or service that would make it easily identifiable. So um, an example of a trademark that is quite popular is the Apple mark. I mean, once you see any product that has the Apple logo on it, you will presume that that product came out of the Apple factory. And so that, that, that is like a source of origin that gives it value in itself. Then when you have all of that going on, you could even start licensing the technology. For instance, the company like Microsoft, I think last year they licensed about um, $40 billion worth of technology to end users and third parties. So it's that awareness that comes from the fact that you can protect this innovation, this intangible asset, and through that derive so much value from it that if 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 um, a valuer decides to evaluate your intellectual property, you could actually find out that it has much more value than even those who have tangible assets. So, so I think it's that awareness and the growth of health techs, fintechs, agritechs, edtechs, and all the other techs that are springing up. Those are some of the factors that are leading to this sudden seeming surge um, of protection of IP rights across Africa. Davidson, you've referred uh, here to some big names, Apple, Mac, Microsoft, which brings me to my next question, which is cross-border enforcement of IP rights. And this is often such a difficult task. What should businesses and entrepreneurs know when it comes to ensuring that ideas, products, and innovations are protected in all the jurisdictions that they're interacting with? Okay, so answering that is actually not an easy one because there are so many factors involved indeed with cross-border enforcement of IP rights. So one thing that you need to understand with Nigeria is that most of our registration of IP rights, particularly um, trademarks registration, is territorial, which means that you must register that mark in Nigeria if you want it to enjoy protection. Of course, there, there is the part of passing off. So passing off is when um, you know that the product is popular, it enjoys goodwill, but you decide to use it for your own product anyway, so that anybody that sees it will presume that it comes from that same source. So, for instance, um, I know that Apple makes um, laptops. I now start selling Apple laptop bags, you know. So, in other words, I'm passing off that logo for Apple as though it came out of the Apple factory. Now, if Apple has not registered its trademark in Nigeria to cover those kind of goods like bags and laptops, it will be very difficult for them to be able to challenge my use of that Apple logo on my products. While they may be able to bring an action for passing off before the Nigerian courts, the standard of proof of that would mean that they would need to show that um, that mark is so famous that it has gained a level of goodwill. And so anybody that is passing it off um, clearly intends to derive part of the benefit that comes with that mark. But if it was registered in Nigeria as a trademark, it would be easier because then the trademarks registry would not even allow that third party to register that trademark in the first place. Now, there's a principle called um, pro protection of famous and well-known trademarks. 
um, what that simply means is that registries all over the world, when they when they see a famous and well-known trademark, they are they have the duty to refuse it when the owner of that mark challenges it. So to put it in context, um, these are real-life examples in South Africa. Um, somebody, McDonald's, first of all, registered its trademark for McDonald's in South Africa, but they didn't use it for a couple of years. So a third party came up and applied to the registry for that mark to be deleted because it wasn't being used, and the registry deleted it, and the person now registered McDonald's in South Africa. I started to sell products that were a ripoff of McDonald's. Now, when McDonald's got wind of this, they, they tried to claim back their trademark, but it was refused by the trademarks registry. It was only when they went on appeal that they were able to successfully overturn that application on the basis of it being a famous and well-known trademark. So um, it, in jurisdictions like Nigeria and a few others where um, famous and well-known trademarks have not been domesticated as part of our laws. It becomes um, increasingly difficult to protect your mark unless you register in Nigeria and register in those particular classes where you want protection. There are a few international um, conventions and treaties like the Madrid Protocol that allows you to um, file in one jurisdiction and enjoy protection in several jurisdictions. So that kind of filing system, for instance, I could go to the Patent and Trademarks Office in um, Spain, and then I would probably tick about 80 countries and say, I want my mark registered in these 80 countries, pay the filing fees, and then the process starts up. And I could enjoy protection in those different jurisdictions. In Nigeria, we do not, we have not domesticated the Madrid Protocol. So you cannot file in those um, systems and expect to have protection here. You would have to come to Nigeria or to engage a local lawyer here that would register it on your behalf. So it's a bit tricky. It's a bit difficult. It may get better as um, people keep um, becoming more aware of their typing rights. But what this means is that um, Entrepreneurs and innovators may need to ensure that their marks are protected in different jurisdictions, especially where they consider that they, their products will be used in those um, jurisdictions eventually. So even though this may be a difficult point, but they may as well take the plunge and do what needs to be done than experience phenomenal losses from the failure to protect their IP rights on time. That's very, very interesting because I know everybody's so hungry for the Nigerian market, but you really have to know what you're doing and to use local uh, legal knowledge um, unless you you want to get your fingers burned. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, Davidson, can I ask, where is the majority of your work derived from? Would it be local Nigerian corporates, international businesses, or referral instructions from other international law firms? Well, um, so for a very long time, I mean, a lot of the firms that do IP work in Nigeria, like Alex, for instance, we had practically all our clients being international businesses and referrals from other international um, firms. Of course, this was understandable because um, for some people who may want to do business in Nigeria and in some African countries, 
um, it just makes sense reaching out to local council. And then again, the Nigerian market was not the type that local um, vendors, entrepreneurs really saw much value behind IP rights. You know, it it would probably be, be regarded as a, a neglected child or the neglect or the neglected practice at that time. So most of the work was coming from outside. I would probably say about 98% of our work was coming from um, foreign jurisdictions directly from either the companies or the law firms. But this has been changing over the years. Of course, a large percentage still comes from there. I would probably say right now, unlike a period of about 10 years ago when we had 98%, Right now, it's probably a case of 85%, 15%, because we're beginning to see local companies um, seeing the value and benefits behind their IP rights. So that's beginning to change. I mean, it will take a while for there to even be 50-50 in this, but, but the local community it is beginning to grow and awareness is on the rise. Now, what does ALEX have on the horizon for growth, innovation, and development? I, I think IP would probably feature there. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, now IP is like the from from moving to be the, the abandoned son, like like David when he was in the bush. We've now been pushed to, to the forefront of a lot of things because everybody is beginning to see the value behind visibility of the brands. I mean, think of Netflix. Once you see the Netflix logo, you just think, oh. This is what it is, you know. So brands and trademark protections are beginning to be pushed to the front. But along with intellectual property comes innovation and technology. And um, of, of course, what, what COVID-19 has showed us is that one may need to have to be lean and mean in order to thrive. We've been looking at the area of legal tech and the automation of legal services because for us, we know that that is the next level when it comes to innovation and growth, especially in our space. So the legal profession is typically known for being reserved, you know, people wearing um, wig and gowns and speaking in old Queen's English, milord and you know, and, and all of that. But um, we do know that in a lot of jurisdictions that is changing and we don't want to be left behind in some of that. Um, realize that with, with technology, so many gaps can be filled. So we're looking at a lot of things from the introduction of artificial intelligence then how we conduct our affairs. Um, there are still a couple of things that, that are under wraps and we don't want to let them out of the bag. But suffice it to say that we fully intend to utilize innovation and technology going forward. So watch this space, so to speak. <laughs> it sounds like there could be a good news story there <laughs> for Africa Legal. <laughs> yeah. Davidson, and COVID, has it heated up or cooled down the, the famously competitive Nigerian legal market? Uh, well, I would say it has definitely heated things up. So um, with, with, with COVID, right, everyone has been forced to work remotely. And what I would say about this is that it has more or less leveled the playing field. So, so let, me, let me put that in perspective. Um, some large firms would have typically attended expensive conferences, stayed in swanky hotels where they would meet prospects and, you know, hobnob in certain circles. 
the smaller firms wouldn't be able to do this because they lack the budget. But what COVID has done is that everyone was forced to stay at home. We were forced to stay in our different locations and everybody has been left to use one thing and one thing only, the internet. So, I mean, we're having this call, for instance, over the, the internet, 80% um, of what I will do would be with my laptop or my desktop or my phone, but I would require the internet. So the virtual, a virtual law firm with a sole practitioner can roll out content in one day, hold webinars, and do a myriad of stuff that could rival that of a 100-man law firm and no one would even know. He could build a website that would be the envy of many. He could send out content through the web that would make eyes you know, glitter and be as effectively competitive as a very large firm that is yet to catch up with the trends and the changes in technology and um, the new way of doing stuff. So I would say that interesting days lie ahead and we are positive that there will be more changes in the day to come, but things are heating up and heating up fast. Um, people are coming up with um, new products, um, law, law tech, legal tech. Some people will thrive, and then some will definitely die. You know, Davidson, you talk like that. It's been historic times. And um, I would like to ask you, just on a personal note, if you could look back on your life and speak to your 18-year-old self, what advice would you give him? What would you say to the teenager, Davidson? Well, so, so I would speak from my own personal experiences, and I wouldn't try and make it sound like I've always had a good head on my shoulder. I, I would tell my year old self to read harder and work harder because I've come to realize that true success comes from hard work and diligence. When I was 18 years old, I don't think I was ready to put in the hard work. So I, you know, somehow a, a youthful teenager would have this presumption that things will take care of themselves and that somehow you will succeed, you know, but, but life now starts to teach you certain lessons and you know that there are really no shortcuts. So while some people may succeed without much efforts because of a few advantages they may have based on their upbringing or their circumstance, you have to work from the default setting that whatever you need to get, you need to work hard to get it. So that's what I would tell my 18-year-old self. Work hard, stay hungry. Wonderful advice for teenagers right around the world. <laughs> it's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you for these insights. And to our followers, you've been listening to Davidson Oturu, partner in the West African law firm Alex, in conversation with me, Carol Campbell, for the Africa Legal podcast series. If there are certain topics or people that you would like to hear, do contact us through our website or our social media. That's all for this week. Thank you and goodbye.